Welcome to the Deepish Thoughts Podcast number three. I'm Chris Forwardell, joined, as always, by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, it's election day in these uh, United States. And uh, as you told me, you've done your civic duty for the day. You've uh, you've cast your ballot. I have. I have. Let's not let's not get into too much of the the actual politics of it because that's only going to cause problems. I was just problems. about to list off my entire ballot, but good, 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 good. I will I will just say that and what I think about this election, without going into any actual specifics, is there is one okay to adequate candidate, and then there's one who's just an outright joke. I won't say which one is which, but I hope the okay to adequate wins. I would agree with both those sentiments without knowing your political leanings. I will say that I wrote in Horodell for Comptroller, so uh, best of luck to you. I, I try to get it trending on Twitter, but I, I don't know if, uh, if it has legs. Yeah, that's a tough hashtag. <laughs> Horodell for Comptroller. It took up pretty much the entire tweet. <laughs> uh, but I do hope that everyone, regardless of where they are, goes out and uh, casts their vote today. Somewhat uh, hypocritical for me to say so, as I am not legally allowed to vote in the state I live in just yet, because I haven't changed my address. Uh, so, But I hope the rest of you do, to make up for slackers like me. Agreed. I, I know I did. So we're, we're all here holding you up, and hopefully it doesn't affect your candidacy for comptroller here in Chicago. I pray to God that it doesn't, Alex. <laughs> Alex, oh my. Oh, wow. <laughs> that hurts. We 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 were just talking about one, you know, Alex Kaptal from the great NFL draft blitz. So, uh, you know, these things happen. These things happen. They do. A crazy, crazy world of podcasting. Anshu, one thing that uh, I wanted to talk about today, a lot of rumblings that one chipper, Kelly, could be bolting the San Francisco 49ers after this season. Phil Knight's down there at Oregon saying, you know, he's willing to pony up for their next head coach, maybe upwards of $10 million a season. Could we see Chip head back to Oregon? Uh, man, there is a lot of smoke around this potential fire, but I, it's just, it makes, it's one of those things that makes too much sense to ignore, but it also makes too much sense to actually happen. Um, I think that Phil Knight may even set his sights higher. Uh, I believe he was in attendance, right? In, uh, uh, at San Francisco for their last game for that for the, for the Niners. I'm, I'm not sure if they're just buddies at this point or if there was more to it business wise. But yeah. uh, I I just I don't I don't see it. And I think that he'll he'll set his sights higher. I think that, and I also think that Chip Kelly, you know, he kind of owes it to himself to finally pick his guy at quarterback. I mean, mm. I think Kaepernick for a lot of reasons sort of fits his style, but he didn't really handpick Kaepernick. I, I think that uh, I, just knowing how competitive Chip Kelly is, I would guess that he won't leave the NFL without at least trying to choose his own quarterback uh, and, and giving him a shot in the NFL with that player. Well, that is the argument to the other side of this is that Chip is a raging egomaniac. So can he can he go back to the college level tail between his legs having failed, or is he just gonna just head against the wall, try and try and try again until something finally works? And I would actually argue with you that Kaepernick isn't Chip Kelly's type of quarterback. I know from Chip's time in Philadelphia that one of the traits he looks for more than anything else is the ability to make decisions quickly. And Kaepernick is about as smart as you know, a box of rocks. So I don't know that I don't know that he is the guy. I actually think that I, I can see why a guy like Gabbert was actually the starter going into the year, whether that was Chip's decision or whether that was sort of forced upon them. Because you know Gabbert, for all his failures as a quarterback, and there are many, can can make a decision under center. And even a guy like Christian Ponder might be, be a better option than than Kaepernick in that regard. With that said, he had what 375 yards, something like that, this week against a a basically non-existent Saints defense. Yep, and, and I mean, I, th- uh, I think your point is well taken. I mean, they they draft Matt Barkley, uh, the Eagles <laughs> do. Your your beloved Philadelphia Eagles. Which I recall. Kind of is what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> but I just, uh, I mean, you're that goes to the point that you're trying to make about you know being able to process things quickly and uh, pr- and prioritizing accuracy or precision. Uh, but I, I think that there is the other aspect of it that I think. Kelly sort of lost along the way, especially with Philadelphia, and that's sort of the athleticism that gives you the opportunity to, you know, a big thing that he's trying to do is always win the numbers game, right? Like mm-hmm. the four-on-three matchups, the five-on-four matchups. 
Well, when you have a quarterback that can run and change that numbers game, it, it really affects that whole uh, algorithm. And I think that by taking players that don't necessarily have the similar, the same type of, they change the game the way that Kaepernick can. Mm. Um, you know, maybe it's just something that he considers in the future. I, I mean, I have always thought that Marcus Mariota made insane sense for them. Obviously, sure. he recruited him, and that made a lot of sense. And I'm not saying Kaepernick's the same player, but he, I think he's sort of cut from a similar cloth as far as, far as what some of their skills are. Um, and I do think Mariota processes things probably quicker and probably has, and definitely has better mechanics and can drive the ball down the field better. But, you know, just the idea that if he could get a guy like that, it'd be very interesting to see what he would do with that player uh, at the NFL level. And I think that to that end, uh, like, I, I mean, I just think that he sh- he'd be depriving himself of that opportunity if he left before getting that chance. Yeah. I mean, I see where you're coming from for sure. I think that the, the argument to that, and I'm not just here to, to play devil's advocate to whatever it is you say is his first season in Philadelphia was a guy named Michael Vick under center. And theoretically, Michael Vick is the guy in the history of the NFL who was most tailor-made to play in a Chip Kelly system. And that team was terrible. I think they were two and four with Chip, uh, with, uh, with Mike Vick under center in what was 13. They go to, they go to a, an incredibly slow fella by the name of Nick Foles team goes eight and two sure. and Foles makes the Pro Bowl and has statistically sure. one of the better seasons that a quarterback has ever had and that is not hyperbole that's no that's a great point I I can't argue with it I think that Vic is I totally forgot about Vic being in the chip system so um you know you you definitely might be on to something there I would just still say that if he could implement and build a, an offense around a player like that, it'd be, mm. it'd be interesting to see. And maybe that's not what's holding him back or if anything is, but it, to me as a pretty much just completely objective observer, I would be interested to, to see it. Well, you're right about Mariota though, because typically, typically when we're talking about a player, you know, let's call it an athlete playing quarterback, which tends to be the, the Chip Kelly quarterback you can either run or throw. Very few of them can run and throw. Mariota certainly can. A guy like a healthy Robert Griffin III would be another one of those guys. Yes. And I think that Kaepernick was trending that direction, honestly, under Jim Harbaugh. And, and maybe that's a case of a coach making a player more than the, than the player mm. being that good. But, you know, you we saw flashes. We all saw it. I, I saw firsthand, unfortunately, with the Packers in the playoffs that Kaepernick was well on his way to being that kind of player, um, the kind of player that we all kind of seem to think that Mariota might be. So, you know, I think that if anyone can extract that talent and optimize it at the NFL level, it would be Chip. But, you know, it obviously remains to be seen. And, and it's doubtful given the fact that every that there's been a clamoring for, for like you said, for Christian Ponder and mm. some question marks around whether Kaepernick really is better than Cabert and we're talking about two of the biggest busts in the first round in NFL history. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Tough where's, argument. Where's Jamarcus Russell? I think that whole right. falling from grace with Kaepernick is one of the more interesting stories that never gets talked about. This is has all the makings of an amazing 30 for 30 because you're talking about a situation where Kaepernick steals Alden Smith's girlfriend. The ramifications and fallout there, Alden Smith turns back to drugs and alcohol, basically destroys his career. This girl destroys Kaepernick. It's so you can you can look back to one woman who single-handedly destroyed the San Francisco 49ers. Wow. That's a, yeah. It's a Beatles situation, right? It's, it's, it ended worse <laughs> somehow. It ended worse. Because you're right. Under Harbaugh, and I do think Harbaugh was the absolute perfect head coach for Kaepernick, but under Harbaugh, this guy looked like an emerging superstar. No question. I mean, I, I'm telling you, I I remember a specific email I was sending with one of my friends who's also a Packer fan, mm-hmm. and uh, and we were talking about players with the ball in your hand, with the in the with their with the ball in their hands, with one minute twenty seconds left, and who you'd fear the most. Yeah. And Kaepernick was a no doubt person in that list. I mean, and he because he had just ruthlessly destroyed our playoff hopes several years in a row, the Packers, and so and and. You know, it wasn't just the Packers, obviously. He led the Niners to what probably easily could have been a Super Bowl win in that game against the the Ravens when the power goes out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I just think that it's 
that's all from grace is, is super intriguing and not something that's often talked about. You know, this isn't super timely, but since we haven't spoken since it happened, let's talk a little bit about the World Series. Uh, yeah. in, obviously, an, an interesting, an interesting final game in that World Series. Have you ever seen anything like that? That was, you know, it looked like the Cubs were going to just walk to a victory up six to whatever, six to one at one point, I believe. Indians yep. come back six three, come back tied six and send it into extra innings which goes into a rain delay and how you know if, if you're the indians how terrified are you of that game getting called for the night because the, <laughs> the first thing i was thinking about is if this game gets called you know we're going to pick it up tomorrow and jake Arrieta is going to be on the mound for the cubs that's exactly what i was thinking i I just didn't think that it would uh, – there was never really a threat, it seemed like, for it to get rained out for the night. Really? Um, really? I, felt, I, I, I didn't think so. I mean, just judging by the forecasts and what they were talking about at the game, I didn't think so. I didn't think that they would push it one more day and force all the fans to come back. It would just it would just be so sealing, you know, for yeah. that to happen. So um, I, I just felt like they, would, they were going to finish that game out. And Chris Bryant said after that, they had played through worse during the year, but they kind of, the umpires and the field crew sort of saw that, you know, there was a little bit of rain coming through, they could get through it, and it was going to be a minimal delay. The thing is, though, that that delay, by all accounts, including from the Cubs themselves, saved the Cubs. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have trouble believing in momentum in baseball. I think we talked about this last time, but mm-hmm. I, if anything, I, that was trending the wrong direction. By all accounts, they were in the locker room. Players are crying in the Cubs locker room thinking that they had choked this big lead away, that they couldn't believe they were on the road. The, the crowd had come alive in Cleveland. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, the, the Indians had every bit of momentum, if there, if any exists in that game. Yeah. Um, and to, to shift, the, to kind of have that time, that come-to-Jesus moment where they were all able to get together and Jason Hayward's able to motivate rally the troops a little bit and, uh, you know, get them back focused and realizing what they are, which is without a question, without a shadow of a doubt, the best team in baseball this year. Um, that, uh, it was a special moment. And really, I'm not a Cub fan, but it was it was cool to see, that, and, you know, very fitting to see that that was the way that this streak ended, this long drought. Um, but it, you know, it's <laughs> to say it, it's got to be in the top five craziest finishes to a season I've ever seen. No question, if not the top. Yeah, yeah. I'm sitting here with with my girlfriend watching the game and, you know, obviously big Ohio sports fan. And first, like I said, the first thing I said was, you better pray to God that this game gets played tonight because if Arietta's on the mound, you're going to lose tomorrow. And <laughs> yeah. uh, and it, to me, it looked like from, from the – the weather forecast they showed that there was some heavy stuff coming in behind what we were we had. So I was thinking, all right, there's a legitimate mm-hmm. chance of this. You know, it's already whatever midnight on the East Coast, and and th- we know that no inning can be started after 2 a.m. So if there's a two-hour rain delay, this is it. You know, that's it. We're gonna play. T- we're, we're gonna play it tomorrow. So <laughs> it's interesting what you say about Hayward, because uh, I was just waiting for that one moment where Hayward came up with a big hit in the playoffs to. Uh, yeah. To justify the contract, does in your mind what is, this is? I guess the question of what is a World Series worth? You know, if, if Jason Hayward was the catalyst to get this team's head right and was the catalyst to essentially put them in position to win the World Series, is he now worth 184 million dollars? <laughs> I mean, generations of Cub fans will tell you that he was absolutely worth it. Um, I personally, from a more pragmatic perspective, think that this contract right now looks like a, an albatross to say the least. I mean, Ryan Howard contract. It's, I mean, it's, it's arguably, no, it's it, not worth it. It's not worse. Don't say it's worse. I went through the Ryan Howard contract. It's not worse. No, it's not, but that's only because Jason Hayward has on top of the amount, the sheer amount, he has two opt-outs inside that contract. So on the off chance, or maybe not off chance, on the chance, realistic chance, that he rebounds and he's amazing in the next year or two, he then has a chance to opt out. After that, if he supposedly slumps or comes back or whatever, mm-hmm. he has another chance to opt out two years later. 
And then finally, he realizes the full 184 if he does stay for the duration, which is why I think there was a major misnomer. This whole thing was kind of uh, – it was a misnomer. And as far as, you know, the the whole contract, he took a little bit less money, but the value of having two or three opt-outs within a contract are – you know, it's tough to calculate that, but it's it's definitely significant. And so, again, I, I mean, for now, it looks pretty crappy. Um, not Hayward, not Howard crappy, but pretty crappy. Yeah, we're, um, pay, we're paying Ryan Howard $10 million to not play for us this year. And not only that, no one will take him. Oh, no, no. Like, well, <laughs> you know what? Ryan had a good second half of the season. So while I think his playing days are probably over – would it shock me if some desperate American League team said, hey, maybe he can DH for us? And it wouldn't shock me. Ryan's second half Assuming of the season. you pick up, what, 90, 90%, 90% of that deal. No, Ryan's done. Like Ryan's done. We, yeah. uh, we, uh, we declined his option for 2017. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah the 23, yeah. I think it was a $23 million option or a $10 million buyout. We, you know, we went for the buyout. <laughs> Got it. I didn't know the particulars. I could see him as like a lefty platoon guy. You know, he's still got some pop in that bat. And if you use him in very, very sparingly and never put him out at first, who knows? And the other thing is he's an outstanding teammate. And mm-hmm. there's that certainly carries a lot of weight. Guys, it does. Guys I mean, look at around. Hayward. Yes, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'm just talking about – look at a guy like Matt Stairs. How long did Matt Stairs kick around just because he had some power in his bat and he's a good guy? He was also – decent fielder uh if i remember correctly Un- not those last five years no maybe maybe not maybe not towards the very end i think you're you're definitely right i mean having uh, there's something about that's sort of the the blind spot in the in major league baseball right now that's kind of the interesting thing about the cubs is look every team is following sabermetrics every team mm-hmm. is analytically driven it's the idea of balancing the analytics with the clubhouse and the makeup and being able to have a good character locker room that helps optimize all those analytics that you put so much time into building. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, these are humans. And so the best way to, to utilize those analytics is putting those humans in the best place to win, best position to win. And, and part of that is having good people in place. And so if Ryan Howard's one of those guys, um, you know, maybe you look the other way on some of his shortcomings and give them, something to make it a guaranteed deal rather than like a minor league invite yeah and you're right you know you're right teams are going safer metrics everyone's concerned about things like war and all of that and uh you know typically you want to pay about five and a half to six million dollars per point of war and i will say jason hayward was at least a 1.5 this year so while he was grossly overpaid by any metric it wasn't terrible because he plays good defense He's an amazing defender. He's a really good base runner, and he's a smart player, and he's a good clubhouse guy. So at the end of the day, I mean, he had he was probably the worst hitter in the National League because they because of how much he was paid, he was given so many at bats and so many opportunities to break out of his funk. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> I mean, the the fact that he was still able to produce a positive win season with all of that in mind is insane. That speaks so much to how good and and to those effort metrics, it's, it's really impressive. Uh, just so we clarify the Jason Hayward contract a little bit, he has a general opt-out after 2018, and 2019 can opt-out once again if he hits 550 plate appearances, which, you know, how it's going right now, that seems like that's a stretch. Hmm. We'll see. I mean, he's going to be the regular everyday right fielder again next year, and then maybe in 2018 if he really bombs out, he won't be, but – yeah, we'll see. I I think that because of those things that we just talked about, as far as running and hitting, and sorry, running and defense, he'll be he'll certainly be in the conversation. He's part of that core that Theo Epstein keeps talking about. It's just a it's a scary proposition. I live literally in the shadows of Wrigley Field, so I've seen what this celebration can be like. And I will tell you that um, on a personal level, I'm not super excited about living through another three years in a row of this, but it seems eminently possible. Well, that's interesting. You say they're going to be, he's going to be the everyday right fielder. Is the plan, you know, uh, who is, who goes to center to replace Fowler who just declined the QO or declined the option. Is that going to be Almora right. or, cause I would think, I would think Hayward would be the obvious choice to go to center. Uh, and I think when they signed him, that was sort of the plan, but it seems like Almora, going to be the guy in center. I bet they'll 
they'll move Hayward around. They have they have such an embarrassment of riches. I mean, they, you got to figure out a place for Schwarber. Yeah. You have to figure out a pay, place for Ben Zobris, the MVP. Let's not forget about the World Series MVP. Right. You have Javi Baez at second and Zobris, and currently Jorge Soler is still on the team, and he is, you know, one of the bright young stars of this team. If he's not flipped, which he very likely will be, given all those players we just mentioned. Not to mention any additions that they might have and some of the prospects that they still have coming up, which is insane. They, they have it's, – it's truly an absurd abundance of, uh, of riches that they have. So I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a combination of Elmora and Hayward in center is my guess, but I would still guess that that 550 plate appearances gets hit at least next year, if not the year after. Yeah, I'm looking at the Cubs' prospects right now, and it seems like a – the kid Zagunis or whatever could be up next year, but it doesn't seem like they have anybody knocking at the door to to overtake a, a Schwarber or a Solar or somebody like that in the outfield. Yeah. Oh, oh, what mean, are you going to do with Ian Happ? Because, you know, Ian Happ's another second baseman. Yeah, Ian Happ, I, I mean, you get to wait. And I think at some point the Cubs, what they would like to do since Jake Arrieta is on the last year of his deal, assuming that they bring him back, which they will, mm-hmm. um, or after his arbitration year, they will try to package something with Solaire, possibly Baez, and one of those young players, either Hap or um, Deloy Jimenez is the big, big uh, number one guy that's coming up soon. Uh, you what, do some what kind of package soon? like that. You think, you think Jimenez is soon? Maybe not soon. That's Maybe a, not soon. But, I mean, he's, a, he's in the pipeline. Let's just say that. He's got a big stick that move, that could move fast through the system, I would say. Um, and then that's, you know, a, that's a great yeah. prospect, but you're talking about a high A prospect right now. I mean, he's been in the minors for three years, and he's tearing the cover off the ball. So I don't know. Maybe not soon. Fair, fair enough. Maybe it's not super soon. But guys have moved quickly through that system, um, and you know, regardless, you can package a couple of prospects and Solaire or Baez and get us. What I was going to say was. They're going to need starting pitching. Yeah. John Lackey's on his last year. Jake Arrieta's on his last year. Chum Lester is, you know, 32, 33. Mm. I mean, he's not young for a pitcher with a lot of lot of miles on that arm. Uh, and then you've also got, you know, potentially some holes at the back end of your relief staff, which has been proven to be extremely important. So assuming they don't re-sign Chapman, which seems like a safe assumption, assuming they don't sign Kentley Jansen, maybe less of a safe assumption, uh, you know, they're going to be looking to start moving some of those pieces. And that was sort of the thought all along with Dia was accumulate an embarrassment of different pieces so that you can flip them and put yourself in a position to continue to, to take shots at the apple, I guess, and, mm. and uh, take bites at the apple. And I guess, you know, it, with Arietta and, and Lackey, it throws a little bit of a wrench into the whole situation. Yeah, that's the, uh, I believe Jimenez was one of the the July 2nd signings, and that's kind of the frustrating thing with the July 2nd is that you're talking about giving a bunch of money to a 16-year-old, and it not only is it such such an inexact science and such a just a crapshoot in general if this guy's going to be good when he's 20, but you also have to wait forever for them. I remember a couple of years ago getting excited about us signing Jalen Ortiz because we don't have a lot of power in the system. Mm-hmm. This is this is the power guy available in his his year of uh, July 2nd. And mm-hmm. July, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, July 2nd is the first day you can sign a, a player who is going to turn 16 years old on the international market. Um, and that's the day we see a lot of our money spent. There was the, the Kevin Mations and guys like that this year. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I couldn't have been more excited about it. But you know, this is, I think Ortiz is in, you know, you come that first year, maybe you probably don't play. If anything, you're in, you're in structs. Then you're in rookie, then low A, A, high A. These are all probably year jumps just because of how raw the players are. So they're they're in the sure. system forever until you actually get to see them. They are, but I believe that Soler and Baez came out of that, and I know that – Well, Soler wasn't a 16. Soler wasn't a 16. He wasn't. He was signed okay. – I think he was 19 when he was signed. Okay, fair enough. I, I still think he was a July 2nd, but he may not have been one of those super, super young guys. Um, but regardless – um, you know, the, I mean, it's an interesting thing. And I know that that's something the Cubs really exploited well, and not just in the Theo era, but um, uh, the era before. God, I can't remember his name. <laughs> the, it doesn't matter now. And, 
Yeah, it doesn't matter, but he's, he did a good job by by picking up guys like, oh, Starlin Castro, I believe, was one of them as well, yeah. who they then turned into some important pieces. So it's just kind of an interesting and, – and they – I think there's going to be a sort of international slotting system. Jim Hendry, that's the guy's name, Jim Hendry. Um, the, the slotting system that they'll have for in the international market should change the entire game, and that's one of those inefficiencies that – or inequities that the Cubs have uh, exploited very well over the last few years, and Jimenez is the latest example. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Soler saw he agreed the terms on July 11th, 2012, and so he would have been a. Uh, now this was uh, this is a agreed to terms and air quotes kind of thing because they didn't actually sign him to that point because he wasn't what you would call a free agent just yet. But uh, he signed in 2012, which means you know he was uh, he was 18, 19 when he signed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So yeah, a lot easier to move quickly when you're a little bit older. But yeah, it's you know it's frustrating. And you're right. The Cubs have been one of the the best teams in baseball in terms of taking advantage of the international market, which is something you know now obviously that every, everything's so capped and there's harsh penalties for going over. You can't sign a player for over two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Can't sign a player for five thousand dollars for the next couple of years. There's the international draft looming. But this was always one of the big loopholes in baseball. Before the yep. before the bonus pool was put in, you could just sign as much – you could spend as much money on the international market as you wanted, and there were no ramifications. It just cost you some money, and it was such a good way to bring fresh talent and top-end talent into your system that not enough teams took advantage of, and those mm-hmm. who did paid off in a big way. Absolutely, and you're seeing this some of the franchises that didn't put their money into the Dominican and Cuba and some of those markets really hurting from it. I know the White Sox got in a lot of trouble because they're – uh, Dominican scouting director uh, actually took was heavily bribed, and then mm. they had to fire him. And they had, you know, they got they set themselves back several years. I would say just not bringing that fresh talent in, and also not creating that pipeline for future talent. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of these guys from other countries want to follow some of their countrymen for good reason, sure. um, just for sheer comfort. And, uh, and you know, it sets you back. And I think the Cubs that was a major fact. I think Theo would be the first to say that that was a huge huge feather in their cap going in and, and one that they've continued to exploit. But uh, like you say, I mean, they're going to, it's going to be an international draft or slotting system or something along those lines so that teams can't uh, continue to, to have certain advantages because you're right. That is an enormous loophole that's finally slowly being closed. All right. Let's talk about, you know, we talked about Chip Kelly a little bit earlier and uh, today we got news Unofficial as it may be, but uh, Dabo Sweeney came out and said that Deshaun Watson, Wayne Gallman, Mike Williams, and Artavia Scott are going to be taking part in the team's senior day festivities because this is going to be their last year on campus. It's not official yet, but it's going to happen. Those four guys will head to the NFL draft. When we talk about a guy like Deshaun Watson, you know, could this be that guy that Chip Kelly's been waiting for for so long? Oh, boy, that's that's an interesting one. Um, assuming that the 49ers will be in that top four or five position where he's kind of hovering around there, it's it's possible. But at the same time, you know, I just – the way – I don't know. I, I don't feel like I would break the bank with, an, with a high pick on a guy like Deshaun Watson early in the mm-hmm. first round. I don't know about you, but he just doesn't strike me as if, if Chip is waiting for – to strike finally – on a quarterback and he's taken this long. It just doesn't feel like the draft to do it. He doesn't seem like the guy to do it with personally to me. And, um, you know, maybe he will, but it, it, I just don't see that, man. I, I don't think that Watson is, is his kind of player as far as having the accuracy and the precision that you need to dissect that defense so quickly. I don't know. What do you think about that? I couldn't agree with you more. I have never understood the hype around Deshaun Watson. This guy, I think that his absolute upside in the NFL, if everything goes perfect, is he's kind of Donovan McNabby. And I don't know that I'm taking a guy with a number one, number two pick in the draft who might turn out to be Donovan McNabb if everything goes right. I just don't see it. I mean, this was the odds-on presumptive favorite to be the number one pick coming into the year. Never made sense to me then. Granted, it is something of a a down year for top end talent in the draft. If, if your name isn't miles Garrett or Jonathan Allen. And uh, yeah. I just never saw it. This quarterback class is unbelievably uh, lacking in my mind. If, if you're interested in a quarterback, you know, wait till next year when you have, mm-hmm. I think Kaiser stays in school. 
So let's next wow. next year you're going to have in that situation, you know, you have Lamar Jackson, you have Josh Rosen, Rosen, you have Deshaun Kaiser, you have Jake Browning. Let me tell you what. I was at the the California Golden Bears Washington Huskies football yes. football game this weekend. I uh sat in the front you row. Tell. I sat in the front row with a bunch of uh my significant others PhD cohorts, so it was a uh, an interesting rowdy time. Yes, it's just an interesting group. Um, (laughs) But I watched John Browning and the guy who I've long targeted for my Philadelphia Eagles in the first round, John Ross, absolutely run over Cal. Oh, he is special. Absolutely. Yeah, I could not agree more. Ross, he is so fun to watch in person. Yeah, I know he doesn't have the height, but he's... I don't care about the height. He's got something. Something's there, yeah. I don't care about the height. We had a guy named Jackson play for this team, made some big plays for a long time. I could, I could see John Ross. We're we're basically counting on Bryce Treggs to be our deep threat right now, so yeah. I, I'll go to John Ross. I, for me, you know, John Ross, Jordan Matthews, and we'll go DGB. That's fine. I, I'm okay with that being a top three. Yeah. But Nelson Aguilar's got to go. Nelson Aguilar, <laughs> the worst thing that you can do if you're struggling as an NFL player is start complaining about people complaining about the things you're not doing well. Oh, my God. Aguilar yeah. came out last week, and he said, I'm sick of hearing about the drops. Well, Nelson, we're sick of seeing the drops. Yeah. Come on, man. Gee, you just got to own it at that point. I, I mean – it's always so funny to me when players are like, you know, we were frustrated. I didn't like how the crowd booed. Well, maybe don't suck it up on the field and the crowd won't boo you off of it. You know what I mean? Like talking about the paying customers, I don't know. That's, that's probably the meatball in me, but it's just something that I uh, – you probably merit the boos if you're getting booed. Yeah, I mean at this point, Aguilar's got to hope that he puts up like a Freddie Mitchell-type career in Philadelphia. Yeah. Oh yeah. God! I just I hate him so much. You know I've never he did had... have one nice play last week. I thought oh, streaking towards the end zone. If I don't, if I remember correctly, and I immediately thought of you because I know of your deep and intense hatred for him. Yeah, I just think it's funny. Because, well, obviously Chip Kelly kind of uh, screwed us over on this one because he only picked players who played in the Pac-10. But you know, I take Aguilar in the first round where other people maybe didn't see him going that high. And she's just been, you know, the upside of Aguilar when he was drafted was, oh, this is a high-character kid. He's going to work really hard, you know, and he's going to catch the ball. Okay, well, got arrested at a strip club and accused of rape. Probably didn't rape the girl, and I'll admit that. But he put himself in a bad situation. That doesn't exactly speak to high character. I I don't know what he does on a day-to-day basis, so I can't talk about his work ethic. But I know he doesn't catch the ball. So whoever came up with that scouting report really missed on two of three. <laughs> so I think we talked about this last time, but that scouting report sounds a whole lot like number 81 on the Eagles as well. Just Jordan Matthews, right? Like, I mean, he's the hardest worker and yeah. by all accounts, you know, and he looks like a very willing blocker as a, a receiver. And, you know, he has to operate out of the slot and he's dealt with a lot of injuries. And I just, you know, sometimes I wonder why, for someone who works so hard, why so many passes somehow go through his hands? I'm, why he can't catch I, the ball? Yeah. Yeah, I just I really like Jordan Matthews. I've loved him since day one. I wanted the Packers to draft him. I thought he's Craig Jennings part two, and I just mm-hmm. think that he's super, super. I just appreciate the work too, you know, it's, and the character. And sometimes you just can't hang on to the ball, right? I mean, it's it's tough to say. It's hard to make excuses for certain players, but you're obviously more willing to do it when the guy puts in the effort and by all mm-hmm. accounts is a stand up guy off the field. Yeah, I don't I don't have a problem with Matthews to be honest. The drops are they're frustrating. He's catching about two thirds of the balls that excuse me, come his way this year, which isn't isn't great. Especially not for a number one receiver, but you know, people in Philadelphia are and this is the Zach Ertz stuff is dissipating a little bit after last week when they finally started to throw the ball down the field. But they're a little down on Jordan Matthews and Zach Ertz right now, and I think that these are guys who are just miscast in the roles that they are. They're not number one options on an offense. If you had Jordan Matthews and Zach Ertz as your number two and three options in the passing game, you're you're very happy with that. You know, Matthews is on pace to catch 84 balls this season. I think Matthews caught 75 last year. Those are good numbers in a passing offense. What they don't have is the guy to take the top off of the defense. 
the John Ross. That's what you're saying. The you know the Deshaun Jackson, whoever it is. Right. Deshaun has come out and said he's he's open to a potential return to Philadelphia after his contract's up. Now I think he's going to be a little bit too old and cost a little bit too much for it to make sense. But you know that's another interesting option. Yeah, they just need a guy like that. That that's what. Well, I mean, maybe Triggs is the guy. I don't know. I the guy to take the top off the defense. Who who knows? But uh, I mean, you're not going to be paying the premium prices for Deshaun at this point. So who knows? Maybe you can get him at a at a decent rate. Yeah, you know it's bad when you wish you had a guy like Todd Pinkston to stretch the defense. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That's that's tough. Pinkston was terrible, but the one thing he did was catch the ball downfield. He and was awful. Oh, I, 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 those receivers still give me nightmares though, because of the fourth and twenty-six game. You have the the Fred X catch on on that critical play and Pinkston, and it's a miracle that Donovan McNabb was a Pro Bowl quarterback with some of the crap that they had around him. Yeah, and I mean he contributed to that to some point because this was not the most oh, accurate no quarterback in the history of the NFL. But you're right, and there is there is a thought that maybe Donovan McNabb's time was wasted somewhat in Philadelphia with the Charles Matthews and the Torrance Smalls and the Freddie Mitchells and the uh, James Thrashes of the world being his go-to oh. options. But uh. you know, and and obviously you hope that history isn't repeated with our most recent number two overall pick quarterback uh, Carson Wentz. So. I don't yeah. know. I think that Matthews is already better than all those guys. That's true. I mean, I know Mitchell was a top, what first or second round pick. Mitchell but... was a one, and people yeah. thought people thought he was going to be very good. People were in Philadelphia were very excited about Freddie Mitchell. I was probably one of them. I don't want to, you know, go back and you know issue revisionist history here. He was a uh, he was on Leno for whatever reason a bu- a couple of times before the season started, and this guy just looked like you know. <laughs> Oh man, we finally found him. We finally found that yeah. one receiver. And I yeah, think he caught California he kid, yeah. Caught like fifty passes as an eagle in four years. Oof. It was great. Oh, he had the big one though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he did have he had fourth and twenty six, the great Fred X, just like to thank my hands, but those were his big contributions to the Philadelphia sports culture. Yeah. What do you think of uh what do you think of guys like Galman and Mike Williams? Is is Mike Williams uh maybe the best receiver in the junior class. I like Mike Williams. I think that he's, you know, when you look at him, he looks like that number one guy that you're talking about, you wanting to have for the Eagles. I mean, maybe not the game breaking speed, but certainly the size, uh, you know, and, and, you know, catching from a, a pro quarterback, probably in Deshaun Watson. And mm-hmm. I think that he's, he's certainly an interesting, definitely an interesting player. I, the other guy that really interests me as a junior class is, is Juju Smith-Schuster. So really? I, I think he's so overrated. What is Really? He? Why is that? I just don't think he, there's any one thing he does all that well. I think he is going to be like every other USC wide receiver that came into the NFL without an elite trait and just kind of washed out over a period of time. What is it that you like wow. about I think that he's more dynamic than a lot of those guys. I mean, if you're going to group a man with like the Steve Smiths and the uh, – Oh man, the litany of what's that? Yeah, the yeah. Uh, I mean, I uh, I think that he's got more dynamic skills and more you can move him around a little bit more. And I think that his size is maybe not as good is similar to what you'd expect from those. I mean, six two, right? Six two, two twenty five, two twenty, like maybe. He's. I mean, I I just think that he's got for that size. He's a little bit more dynamic, a little more interesting of a piece, and. I just think he's got a little bit more swag, frankly, than some of those guys. I think those guys were a little bit more – they just didn't have that sort of – I don't know, that NFL – like, I think that you've got to have a certain level of confidence to yourself, to your mm-hmm. game, and, and I didn't necessarily see that with some of the guys that you – I think it's convenient to compare a guy to the other players from his alma mater, but I'm not sure that I, I necessarily think Smith Schuster's like those guys. All right. Well, you know, the two, neither one of the classes that we're going to see this year, the 2017 or the 2018 class, is particularly uh, particularly strong. You know, I don't think if we're calling Mike Williams the best guy in the in the 18 class, or if you want to make a case for uh, Juju Smith Schuster, you know, none none of them compare to the top tier elite wide receivers that have come out in the last couple of years. And the 17 mm-hmm. class certainly oh, yeah. isn't going to add anything. I think. I, for me, I think Corey Davis is probably the guy in the senior class out of Western Michigan. I know a lot of people like the Westbrook kid at Oklahoma a lot right now, but he's he's a little bit too slight for me. 
You have the yeah. Uh, I like Davis a lot more. You have the kid at the the Darbo or whatever it is kid at Michigan. I like Stacy Coley. Yeah. Stacy Coley's a player who interests me. This is a because I'm, you know, I find that when I'm evaluating a draft class, I tend you know I tend to naturally gravitate to the players that make sense for the team that I'm most interested in. In basketball right now, that's just I'm looking for shooting, shooting, shooting. Anyone who can shoot the basketball. And uh, in defense, in in football, it's I want somebody who can actually run past a defensive back. And that's why I like Coley a lot. Coley's an explosive player, and he's well built. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yeah. like, I like Coley quite a bit. I think he's a guy who, you know, I would certainly look to. I think he's going to be a guy who sneaks up into the end of the first round when it's all said and done, because I think this. Wow. I think the 17 class is just so underwhelming. I don't, I don't see a guy I would definitely take in the first round, including Corey Davis, who I do like. Yeah, I like Corey Davis. I like uh, the kid on Ohio State. He's pretty. He's got some talent. Uh, Brown. I think that he's got some speed to him and good height. And the Ohio State guys have kind of impressed recently. So I know I'm basically being a total hypocrite by saying that uh, comparing them to their previous alma mater receivers, but with the same coaching staff. I mean, I I like Noah Brown. Um, yeah. I think yeah. The, there's it. But you're right. This year's I would say that the 2018 kids make this one a little bit more interesting, but still compared to the last two years, it's, it's really, there's no comparison. Yeah. I don't know who that next great guy is. I don't, I don't see who, who is the star? I think I could be wrong, but I believe Noah Brown's a sophomore. Is he a, is he a RS? Oh, is he? I thought he was a senior. I could be wrong about that. No, I, th- um, I think Noah Brown's a sophomore. I'm just not sure if he is. Let's find out. Noah Brown, Ohio State. I'm just not sure if he's a redshirt sophomore or a true sophomore. Oh, wow. Noah okay. Brown is <laughs> – came he was in – nothing more fun than listening to people read on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> he was in college. His last year in college was 13, so he's probably a redshirt sophomore. Okay. Fair enough. Sorry. Yeah, I thought that maybe it was this year. Um, still okay. eligible. So at the end of the day, that's – Still eligible. End of the day, it all works. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't – I don't who is I don't know who that next great guy is. Is there a great wide receiver prospect in college football right now? I think it's I think it's either Williams or Ross. And I don't really love Williams. I know, but he's he's kind of he looks the part, you know. And so to me, that's a guy that probably ends up in the first round. And I just but, mean in all of college football, is there is there a star level oh. wide receiver prospect? Is there? Is there a Julio Jones? Is there a, a Calvin John? I mean, there's very few Calvin Johnsons in the history of the world, so that's not fair. But Ridley looks pretty good. Uh, I would say that Calvin Ridley is an interesting name to keep in mind. But the, the freshman at Texas too, the, the Johnson kid at Texas looks like you know, ironically, looks like he could be uh, Colin Johnson, could be something like a a uh, Calvin Johnson down the road. But you're right about Ridley. Ridley is, you know, is Ridley kind of like Sammy Watkins uh, and that kind of player for you, Amari Cooper? Yeah, I could say I was gonna say Cooper, but again, it's it's easy to make that comparison because they both go to the same squad. I, I really like his guy. I don't know what it is about him. He's just sort of got it. I would say that he's less He's more Cooper than Watkins as far as. And I mean, the size is pretty similar. Yeah, but the body type is more like Watkins. I don't know. That's that's a good comparison. Well, I guess we'll see more of him here in the next year, and then he's he's eligible next year, right? Yeah, I believe he's a true sophomore. Yeah. Although I will say that that'll be as I've moved away from the NFL draft site and the into talking about all of sports and covering all of sports, my NFL draft knowledge is falling off a cliff as to what it used to be. Agreed. I'm I'm with you there, unfortunately. But we'll ramp it up here in the next few weeks and months. No, no question about that. A uh, couple more things before we go. Steph Curry had one of those nights last night, Anju. Oh boy! After after going 0 for 10 in a 20 point loss to the Los Angeles Lakers, a 20 point loss to the Los Angeles Lakers, who are somehow four and three on the season. Steph Curry goes off for 13 threes. He's 13 for 17 last night against the Pelicans. Couple things strike me as odd here. One, you know, that's a, that's a crazy divergence from one game to another. And two, other than the Spurs, have the Warriors played anyone who's even halfway decent this year? Uh, well, they played the Thunder. Uh, that, that's that's true. That was a big game. 
That was Kevin's game. Pretty interesting game. Yeah, that was that was a tough one to watch. So I'm again, I'm sort of objective to the West Coast thing. I don't really have a dog in the fight, and mm. I've just naturally grown to like those Warriors teams a lot. Like I sure. love. I think Clay Thompson is probably the most underrated all around player in the league. I mean, he's obviously a great shooter. Everyone knows Clay, Steph, Splash Bros, whatever. But he's such a good defender. And, I mean, when you see him matched up on Westbrook occasionally, you see that. Um, I think that they're just – they're. but watching that game, it was really tough to root for them over the Thunder. It was yeah. really hard for me to – I mean, you watch these guys, and they just keep trotting out. It's like – player after player after player. It's like watching the Cubs lineup, honestly. It's like yeah. every next at bat, it's another star. And every next shooter, it's, I mean, Draymond Green's a complete afterthought on this team. Complete mm. afterthought. Um, people completely forget about Andre Guadal off the bench. I, I just, I had, you know, it's mind-boggling. So I found myself kind of in the back of my mind hoping that Russell Westbrook would put Kevin Durant on a poster or do something <laughs> cool like that. And then, I mean, at the same time, it's just so interesting and fun to watch Steph Curry and, and play, and particularly those two, especially Steph because of his height, shoot the ball and just completely defy physics and everything that you know about basketball from all the years of playing and watching it. So yeah, it still boggles my mind. And seeing those highlights is always – it's just a fun thing to wake up to. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, this is just – this is a guy who is just happens to be the best basketball player in the world right now. You see someone like LeBron James, and you're like, okay, I understand. But if you didn't know who Steph Curry was, he's just a guy you see walking down the street that you don't think twice about. I mean, it's so funny, too. You know, like, he managed to make LeBron the underdog. This guy, this yeah. guy, this, this tiny little man, and he's not big in any way. There's nothing really, like, noticeably physically intimidating about him by any means, to your point. And he managed to make this six nine hulking LeBron James mutants look like a, you know, like an underdog. I mean, that is unbelievable. We're talking about this. And it's, it's awesome. Honestly, it's like, it's such a cool thing. And that's why you see, if you ever watch like a bunch of kids play a pickup game, I've got a little cousin and he, all he wants to do is be Steph Curry. All he wants to do is just chuck turnaround threes. And I love it. And it's, it's, it's awesome. It gives kind of gives hope to a, a whole generation of tiny kids. Right. Just just happen to be the best shooter in the history of the world, and you're going to be fine. Yeah, just happen to yeah, right. Just luck into that. Uh, no worries. It's awesome, though. Yeah. Let me make one point to what you said about Clay and Draymond, and I think there's an interesting phenomenon that goes on in the NBA where as a player goes from being a young, somewhat role player to an established star, their defense tends to sort of fall off. And we saw this with Jimmy Butler, too. Jimmy Butler, he made his, his name in the NBA as an elite perimeter defensive player. But as more of the scoring load gets put on him, all of a sudden less attention gets played, uh, paid to the defensive side of the ball. And I think we're seeing, you know, that's never going to be Draymond. That's just not how Draymond's made up. He's always going to want to kill whoever he's guarding offensively. But I think that's yeah. going on to some point with Clay because I think Clay struggles in the shadow of Steph and Kevin Durant. I don't think he's the guy who seems comfortable on this team right now. And, you know, he's not, he's not, a, Oh, I'm just going to put my head down, play defense and see what comes to me. Kind of guy. Clay wants to get 25 every night. Clay, Clay yeah. you know, Clay wants to have eight threes every night. He cares about what is on the offensive side of his stat sheet. That's true. I would say that he's more likely to be that guy than Draymond just because of the way that they've, Sort of, I would even go back to college with that. I mean, Clay's always been the prime player, um, and and Draymond's, you know, being with Tom Izzo and being in that system, you're not really. And he had his struggles with Izzo, and I think that that made him better as far as an all-around player. And he's asked to do so much more, and whereas Clay was Clay was always the alpha dog. And I, you know, this kind of stuff is is super interesting to me in basketball because I think there are real tangible chemistry issues that can tear away yeah, at a team. I mean, absolutely. and I don't think that's necessarily the case in baseball. I think it's sort of overblown at times probably, but mm-hmm. in basketball, like you can tell because there's just one ball and there's just, and everyone's on the court at the same time. And it's, it's such a dynamic game. You can really take a guy completely out of his element. Um, and, and I think there is some of that. at I definitely think some of that's at play and, and at risk of, potentially messing with this team a little bit with Clay. 
But that being said, I mean, because you're not going to see Clay be like the three-point role player. Right? No, like, no, he's sort of, not interested. But there's just no other way to do it, is there? You know, Clay, said him, Clay said himself when they signed Kevin Durant that he wasn't going to sacrifice shots just because Kevin signed with the team. Yeah. Like, first yeah, of all, that's an incredibly dumb thing to say. Like, just a lesson to every other person in the world today. Don't say anything <laughs> like that. Just think it in your head. That's fine. But don't say it out loud. And certainly not so – But you don't like Clay. You're, I mean, you don't, you don't find Clay as interesting of a player all around as I do. I think Clay is – I think with, on a talent basis, Clay is one of the top 20 players in the NBA. I absolutely believe oh, okay. that. I know you might think he's a little bit better than that. I, I absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. think he's one of the top 20 players in the NBA. I think he's wildly miscast as a third option on a team. I think yeah, yeah, yeah. His, he's going to suffer offensively, and I think because of that, his defense is going to suffer. And if cracks you emerge wonder... with this Golden State team, I think it's because of Clay. Look, we talk yeah. about whether or not a bunch of superstars can come together and put their egos aside. I think Steph can. I think, I think Kevin Durant can. I don't think it's a problem for Draymond because Draymond doesn't need 15 shots a game. I think it's a problem for Clay. Uh, you know, it's funny as you're saying that. I don't know if this has been said at all, and it, because it makes so much sense and the parallels are so obvious. But is Clay James Harden? You know what that, I mean? There like, you go. That's Harden. absolutely. That's a great point. Like you had your two guys with Westbrook. Westbrook was younger, so Clay is like so. Steph is like the established version of. Russell Westbrook, yeah. and then you've got Clay. I mean, at the time Harden was coming off the bench, and I think Harden, even more so, could have been that guy, could have stayed being that guy if they had paid him the money that he so clearly deserved. Hmm. And maybe at some point, you know, the cracks would have shown and borne out. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, then you also throw in a guy like Draymond who can score 20 points on any given night. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. And they're all perimeter guys. So we've never seen this before. This has never happened. Like, even with the Heat, you've got Bosch, who's a low, you know, at least he's a big man. He's not a low post guy, but certainly a player that you put in the post, ideally. And then you've got Wade and LeBron. That's only two players. And LeBron's kind of preferring to be a distributor a lot of the time anyway. So now you throw that in to make it four, and is is four too many cooks in the kitchen? I, it, it's interesting. I mean, we've had a very small sample to look at, but judging by what you're saying, it's definitely something to think about. This is very early, but very interesting. Now, look, obviously that the team I'm about to talk about was nowhere near as talented as the Golden State Warriors. I preface this oh, comment okay. with that. But, okay. you know, we saw – I thought you were going to the Sixers. No, 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 no. They're, <laughs> by the way, also not as talented as the Warriors. Though we did, <laughs> did lose by one point to the Cavs – last week um the team i'm going to talk about and the most the most perimeter oriented team that we've ever seen out of a very very good team was those old milwaukee bucks teams with Mm -hmm. with cassell and ray allen and antoine walker and and all of those guys teams that Mm -hmm. just lived and died by the three-point shot and at the end of the day they always died by the three-point shot now I don't know that, you know, obviously they're nowhere near as good. Steph can go get a shot. Steph can ISO and go get a shot. Clay, I mean, uh, the big problem with Kevin coming in is he's more of an ISO player than a system player. So, you know, mm-hmm. so they can get their own shots, whereas the Bucks were living and dying by the threes. But we don't know that this works yet. We don't know that three guys of that level works. It, you know, we saw last year this, this team's chemistry was almost perfect. And then, then you bring in this giant piece in Durant. And yeah, he fits in, but how does everybody else fit in with him? I think when they lost to uh, – I don't remember if it was when they lost to the Lakers or when they lost to the Spurs, but whatever team it was was 24 for 26 at the basket. The one thing they don't have is an Andrew Bogut. Bogut was so unbelievably important to that team and got no credit. It was ridiculous. This guy was the quarterback of the defense. He called out all of the defensive stuff, and Zaza Pachulia is not that. You know, I no. the one thing that honestly makes a lot of sense for the Warriors, and I'm not sure how it would make sense in return, and we will go to my 76ers here, is a guy like Nerlens Noel makes a lot of sense for the Warriors. Oh yeah, especially age-wise and the cost control, that does that makes a ton of sense for them. Um, I, I don't know how you do. It, it. No, yeah, I, I don't know either. I mean, I you gotta wonder. <laughs> look, it's super early. I really don't want to go down this road of play, but hypothetically, if you could turn Clay into like a dynamic, well, post guy at some point, do you do that um, instead of, you know, and, and, okay. and kind of close the gap long-term the way uh, that 
I'm going to throw something crazy out. What does Clay Thompson and three first round picks get close to Anthony Davis? I was literally thinking the same thing about Anthony Davis. Um, and because doesn't Anthony Davis, is he signed to a max deal? Is he like, Oh no, no, he had that, he had that crazy thing last year where, uh, he had the contingency in his contract that if he was all NBA or made an all-star game, I'm going to misquote this, but I'll get the idea right. If he was all NBA or all or made an all-star team or was named MVP X amount of times that he was eligible for the Supermax, And it was going to be like $25 million more over the course of his contract. And because he missed all those games last year, he didn't make the all-star game and missed out on the all NBA teams. So he lost like $25 million in his contract. Uh, but I mean, he still makes a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. I'll tell you exactly how much he makes in a second. No, I but, mean he makes the max, just not like the absolute super Rose deal max, right? Like yeah, he, he's not a super max. He makes here on BasketballReference.com. Oh, he makes twenty-three point one million dollars this year. Oh no, that's career. I'm sorry. He makes twenty-two point one this year, and he signed for five years. It's twenty-two point one, twenty-three, twenty-five, twenty-seven, twenty-eight. So he's got, you know, four years and $110 million left on his contract. So Clay's Clay's close to that. It's got to be close. I know that Steph's up after this year. um, Yeah, he's going to – I think he probably gets paid. Yeah, yeah, I think. So maybe – I mean, we're we're way, way ahead of ourselves right now, but that would make a lot of sense for a lot of people. And I do think that Clay on his own could potentially be the kind of player that – you know, that that puts up Harden-type numbers that you can build around just on his own, and it would be interesting to see, for sure, as, and especially for me, as, as just, I mean, an enormous Clay fan, so I, and I just think that he's so underappreciated. But to your point, I mean, when you're next to the two of the three best players or two of the four best players in the league, I mean, it's tough to, uh, it's tough to find your niche. Um, and so we'll see. I, I'm not sure. It's very interesting to think of how that'll all work and shake out. Yeah, uh, so Clay makes 16.6 this year, so you'd have to add someone like an Iguodala with him. How about this? You know, obviously Anthony Davis is playing like Anthony Davis is right now, and he's yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what the Pelicans do with him because I don't know how much longer he's going to be happy playing on that bad team. Clay Thompson for for Demarcus Cousins. Who says no? Oh, there you go. Probably the Warriors. I don't know. That's tough. That's a really good question. I could I see I could see Clay, you know, obviously he he's used to winning on that uh on that Warriors team, but I feel like he's the kind of guy who he's going to be okay for a couple of years on a bad team scoring 29 points a game. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And it doesn't matter what he thinks anyway, right? Like it's not like he has some kind of vested veteran rejection clause or something like no, that. No, no, he can't he can't do anything about it. But you know, if you're the if you're the Kings in that scenario, you're probably not trading for a guy who do, openly doesn't want to be there. Right. Probably not. But I could also see them just saying, screw it. Like, you know, they gotta change it up because that would be really interesting actually. Like really, really interesting. And he gets to stay down there in California and uh, man, I don't know. That's that's pretty interesting. Let's see. Let's see how much Last thing we're going to do here, let's just see how much money Marcus Cousins makes this year. Their contracts are nearly identical. You okay. could, it, it, could well, be a, you it could be a one-for-one trade. No more players need to be involved. I mean, uh, there's probably going to be draft picks one side or the other. but I could see the Warriors saying no now that I think about it for the, just the simple reason of culture and just saying, like, let's not – mess with a guy like like if you had said davis yeah for sure obviously and he's mm-hmm. better than cousins i get that but i could see like we were just saying did durant kind of throw the whole thing off for them mm-hmm. um and then you have to wonder like oh would would cousins throw the whole thing off even more so because of the way that he is and, i mean i doubt that because i think that he's fine i think that cousins weirdness is sort of overblown probably just because of where he is. That tends to be the but, consensus, that he's actually a decent person who gets really, really frustrated by losing. Yeah, which is a great thing to be, I think, honestly. <laughs> like, there's, that's, a, that's a good thing to be frustrated about. So, could, you imagine, I, could you imagine going into the lane if you're playing against the Golden State Warriors and you see Draymond Green and Boogie Cousins? Oh, man. You're going to get killed. That's the thing. Can Cousins run the court like these guys long term? Does he have to? Why does the, the center have to run the court? 
And Bogey, Bogey wants to shoot threes. <laughs> that's in sort list. of what they've done, right? That's sort of that's been their their little chip and their on their their the little thing that makes them a little bit better is when they have that Draymond at center lineup and they're able to like just run roughshod all over the other team and have their center shooting threes and drawing the big man out of there. I mean, I get it. That's why they have Pachulia. So you just make Cousins essentially play all the Pachulia minutes, right? Like that's, yeah. that's your thought process. Or you play a half court team, you throw Cousins and and don't forget Kevin Durant six eleven or whatever. So yeah. I mean, he can play the three two and or the four and yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of really interesting things. I think there are still a lot of interesting things. Listen, it's been like what seven games. And then the Warriors bench is still pretty damn good. It's not what it was last year, probably, but it's still the veterans of flock there. They've got, they can come at you in waves on both the perimeter and even in the front court. I mean, David West is another interesting piece. They've got players, but yeah, yeah, if you throw a big man like that in there, it changes the whole dynamic of the team. Everybody knocks that Warriors bench. Never made sense to me. You have Livingston, you have Iguodala, you have uh, have West. You have Patrick McCall. You have Ian Clark. These are good basketball players. Why is everybody complaining about the weakness of the Warriors bench? It's not weak. It's just not as good as their starters because there's literally never been a group of people who played basketball together as good as the Warriors starters. Right. I don't know. The dream team. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's crazy. It's it's. Yeah, it's well, just people looking for something to complain about. But We'll see where they are a week from now when we are back with the next podcast. That's been this week's show. I'm Chris Horvidell. It was on Shukana. Thanks for listening. See you next week.